It's Thursday, May 11th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynes, another frustrating day at the ballpark on Wednesday. Uh, it was a getaway game for the uh, Detroit Tigers and the Cleveland Guardians, and uh, the Guardians are wishing Eduardo Rodriguez would get away as quickly as possible. A uh, 5 nothing shutout loss. Uh, Rodriguez has now faced uh, Cleveland twice this season. Uh, they don't have a run off of him. He's got uh, 18 strikeouts in like 15 innings, and he's just completely dominated Cleveland hitters uh, all season long. Yeah, he is on a roll, Joe. He's he's doing that to everybody, not just Cleveland, but unfortunately uh, the Guardians have had to face this guy twice in the last two months, and they've had no chance, no chance at all. And it just goes to show you, Joe, I think uh, Detroit is – Right now they're they're legit and uh there's all of a sudden this thing is uh, a three team race in the AL Central and in the way the uh, Cleveland is playing I don't know if they can keep pace it's going to be it's going to be a struggle for them if they don't start hitting well they can't keep pace if they're at the bottom of the league in pretty much every major uh, offensive category uh, that you can think of uh, last in slugging percentage last in OPS Last in home runs, last in batting average. They're they're struggling so much at the plate now uh, that it, it's you know what what can you even do? Uh, because this is the, we, we we've been told this is the lineup that they're going to have, and, and it's, the change has to come from the guys on the field. Yeah, change has to come from within. But I think uh, if this continues, they're going to they're going to go down into the minor league system, and and if they get if they have to bring Bo Naylor up, he'll he'll be up here. I think uh, you know the time for change is is approaching here, and uh, like uh, you know Chris Antonetti said, you know, yeah, change has to come from within, but you also have to try to help this club. I think as much as you can, Joe. I I, I don't think you can just let the season slip away in May, do you? No, do you do you anticipate a move before Friday's uh, series opener against the uh, the Angels? As, you know, they have an off day today. Uh, you know, nothing really planned or, or going on. But uh, could could Naylor be the move uh, before Friday? Yeah, you know, I, I you know is that it seems unlikely. But you know, this is a kind of this is when they do 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 make some moves. You know, the you've got the off day. You know, you had a, a, an afternoon game yesterday. You've got the off day today. Uh, there's a lot of time to for the front office and the coaching staff to talk and discuss things. You know, and contemplate a move. But if they don't make a move, you know, they're talking about it, Joe. They've they've got to be talking about you know trying to uh, inject some offense into this into this lineup. Yeah, right now, uh, Bo Naylor down at Columbus in 119 at-bats, uh, seven home runs, 27 RBIs, 261 uh, batting average, uh, 895 OPS. He would be uh, he would be leading the Guardians in pretty much every one of those categories if he were up here uh, right now, swinging the bat that way. Uh, I Yeah, I, I guess... Making that move would would make a lot of sense right now, but it, just because of what we've seen out of Mike Zanino so far this year, it's not just on the offensive side that he's he's hurting you. He's also hurting you defensively. Yeah, I guess he had another pass ball yesterday. Uh, he just he just doesn't look like he's moving real well behind the plate, Joe. He's not moving well behind the plate, and he's not throwing well. Um, you know, it just. Um, 
right now he looks he's 32 years old and he looks every day of that and i i hate to say that because he's a good guy he's a nice guy he uh, i think you know he's he's a he's a solid catcher he, he works well with the staff but right now the physical tools are lacking right now and he's not right. hitting yeah, the the, the sidelines of uh, of Major League Baseball are littered with uh, uh, the bodies of of good guys who are, are real nice in the clubhouse, but uh, you know can't make um, can't make contact at the plate right now, and that's that's really what's going on. Uh, as far as other areas in the lineup, uh, we talked uh, briefly before we started recording here about Andres Jimenez. Uh, he had the day off uh, yesterday against a tough lefty. He and Josh Naylor both did, uh, but there's a, you know, what can be done there? I mean, this is a guy who you're pretty much committed to as your second baseman, uh, at least going forward. Uh, but if he continues to to struggle the way he has at the plate so far this year, uh, you're, you're jamming up uh, spots where, uh, you know, you've got all these middle infielders that you need to get a look at, like Brian Rocchio, like Tyler Freeman. Uh, you want to play Gabriel Arias uh, if you're not going to be using him in the outfield. Uh, what's, uh, you know, what can you do to get Jimenez going? This is, you're talking about a seven war player last year. Yeah. And a guy that you'd signed for what's a seven year deal for a hundred and six hundred eight million dollars you know, this spring, you, you know, you made a, com- a huge commitment to this guy. And I, I'm wondering, Joe, if he's feeling kind of the pressure of trying to live up to that contract, you know, it does happen to players and uh, that kind of that contract extension did come out of nowhere. You know, I, I mean, uh, you can't blame him for signing it. But, you know, sometimes uh, that weighs on a guy and he tries to live up to it. You know, it just looks to me, Joe, when I watch him hit, he's trying to go to left center field. He's trying to, you know, he's way out in front of a lot of stuff with his swing. And, um, you know, and then when he gets in kind of a critical situation, he's trying to lay down a bunt. So I, I'm not sure where he's going with this, you know, it looks like he's kind of caught in between to me. Yeah. I, I think we were a little bit spoiled with just his clutch numbers last year and how he just seemed to, to come through every time uh, late in game situations, the, the, the batting average was, was off the charts and, you know, he would deliver after the seventh inning, you know, as consistently as any, any player. Uh, I just, I, yeah, I, like you said, I wonder if it's, it's completely just a mental thing because uh, because he looks like he's he's fine physically. He looks uh, like you know nothing's bothering him. So uh, this is all just an approach thing. And we talked to Chris Valeka, the the hitting coach, uh, after the game yesterday. Uh, I mean that was that was about as close to a come to Jesus moment as we we could have as a as the the group of reporters. Uh, we just sort of pulled Valeka out into the hallway outside the clubhouse and uh, listened to him talk for uh, you know a good two three minutes about how. Really, the only way out is through was the the message from Valeka uh, yesterday. Uh, the guys who are in the clubhouse have to have to take better approaches, have better at bats, get you know find more success uh, that way because you you can only point them in the direction so much. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, last year everything uh, Valeka touched turned to gold, so to speak. You know that that approach worked. You know, they they kind of snuck up on a lot of teams. They, you know, the uh, contact first approach worked, but it, they also were, you know, they were, 
they were, they were also, you know, hitting, you know, like a normal team too. They had some power. They were, they were hitting doubles. You know, they, they, you know, they were stealing bases right now. You know, this team is lucky to get a single. It's they're lucky to, to hit a ball out of the infield or, or draw a walk. They're, they're just, there's just nothing right now. And, you know, that's a hard, you're not going to win if you can't score. And, you know, so, you know, what else is he going to say? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you can't, you can't, you know, fire nine guys. You can't, you know, bring up all 26 different guys from, from the minor league system. And you're going to have to go with these guys and, and trust that, uh, you know, that, that their track records somehow surface. Yeah. And, and that's sort of what, uh, what Tito said, uh, yesterday. He, he talked about, uh, you know, not panicking and not, not, not showing that from the coaching staff uh, that there's, that there's any sort of panic going on but you you know that that beneath the surface there's there's got to be some questions uh you know just going through everybody's mind about you know what's what is this team ultimately going to do and what what, what can they do offensively in terms of their their ceiling i i mean if this is the way they continue to hit uh you're not going to win a lot of games you, you and i mentioned the the stat before we started recording here uh, of the 37 games they've played so far, they've been held to three runs or fewer in what 24 of those games. 24 and, of those games, yeah. And and their record is six and 18, and that that's remarkable. I think to have six wins out of those 24 games is pretty remarkable. It says a lot about your pitching staff, but but holy cow, uh, to to be have that many uh, of your uh, 37 games, three runs or fewer. That's uh, it. It's it's an untenable situation moving forward. Yeah, and they're they are extremely lucky to be playing in the division they're playing in. Joe, uh, you know, uh, we got to look at Minnesota. You know, during this home stand, uh, the Guardians took two out of three from them. And then they turn around and lose what two out of three to uh, the to the Tigers. But they're still only three games out. Joe, they're in third mm-hmm. place. You know, the the Twins are struggling. Um, uh, the Tigers look like uh, they look like the best team in the division right now, and they're two and a half games behind the Twins and a half game ahead of the of Cleveland. So uh, you know, thank goodness they're playing in the division they're playing. If if they were playing in another division, this thing you know they'd be looking at you know what a seven eight maybe nine game deficit, and that's hard to overcome. Yeah. Okay. We can we can sound like a a broken record here. Uh, talking until they have a, a game where they bust out with, you know, a, a dozen runs and you know, 15 hits or something like that. We're 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 gonna keep sounding like this, and it, it's it's it kind of stinks. It's it's just a real tough way to to follow the team and and uh, to to have these these games over and over again. It's a they're carbon copy games. They score two runs in the first inning and then don't score again for the rest of the game and, and you know lose three to two and it's. It's just tough uh, to, to see this over and over again, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna shift gears here and and, and just stop beating ourselves up. Uh, wanted to mention uh, subtext, our subscription service, three ninety nine a month. Uh, you can get all the updates about how the Guardians are not hitting uh, from Hoinsey and myself via text. Uh, just go to cleveland.com slash subtext to subscribe or send a text message to two one six two zero eight four three four six. Uh, and we'll uh, we'll get you signed up for subtext. Uh, we love our our subtext subscribers, and we try to answer all their questions. Except, you know, why? Hey, Joe. Uh, hey, Paul. Why aren't they hitting? Uh, <laughs> that's the one the one that we can't answer. 
Hoinsey, I, uh, I I just published, uh, put it up on the uh, on the site uh, story about the uh, the four Gold Glovers uh, for the the Guardians: Shane Bieber, Andres Jimenez, uh, Stephen Kwan, and Miles Straw. Took the time over the last uh, week or so to to sit down with each one of them and talk about their gloves, uh, get a little backstory on their uh, their equipment, their favorite gloves, their first gloves, what they remember about, uh, you know, the, just their memories of growing up and, uh, you know, getting that first glove, the, you know, the first real one that that you knew you were a ball player. That's that's sort of the uh, was the theme of it and, and how they break gloves in and what they what they do for customization and, uh, you know, any superstitions that they have. Uh, came up with some some really good, uh, interesting, uh, you know, just like little stories and anecdotes from the the players themselves. I also talked to uh, Tito and uh, you know Sandy Alomar, Demarlo Hale, Mike Sarbaugh uh, for another post I'm going to be doing later on uh, about what the coaches and, and you know their experiences with gloves and and what they think of them. Uh, but uh, the the Gold Glove ceremony, the Gold Glove presentation. Uh, will take place Saturday uh, before the game on the field. They'll they'll get their trophies that way. Uh, just uh, Hoinsey, what do you remember about your first glove? You do you remember what model it was or what it looked like? Yeah, I, I remember my dad bought it for me at Cleveland Sporting Goods downtown, and I loved that glove, man. I but and and there was a couple of days I left it outside, you know, oh. when it was raining, and I was like worried the whole night, you know. I was like, oh my god, I I'm, I ruined this glove, and uh, but you know it held together. But I just remember, you know, Tito said he slept with his glove, right? Didn't he tell yeah. you that? I think yeah. I slept with my glove too for a while. <laughs> I, well, but I love that baseball glove. Well, it's funny because you know you hear uh, you hear from people people who aren't. Professional baseball players who don't have like the access to that kind of uh, equipment or whatever, uh, you know, you'll you'll hear them trying to break gloves in by having having mom or dad drive over them with a with the car or putting them under the mattress or you know lose, using glove oil or putting them in the microwave or things like that. Uh, surprisingly enough, not not surprisingly enough, uh, when I talk to uh, you know guys like uh, Beaver and, and Straw and Quan uh, and and Jimenez, they 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 said they they didn't use any of that stuff. None none of those techniques that you think you hear uh, you hear people talk about. Uh, they they don't use all they do is play catch with them to break those gloves in. And uh, uh, they said that was the most effective way. Uh, I thought it was funny when Tito was talking about his first glove that he got from his dad. Uh, that you know he was he might have been like the only seven or eight year old out on the little league field with a, a you know a professional outfielder's glove. So he was. He thought he was the uh, the big man, but uh, he'd look down and, and he said the pocket is what stood out to him. The pocket on that glove, uh, because it was so perfectly formed that a ball would just stick in there every time you caught it. And he said it was it was like dark. It was black or dark brown and, and sticky. He said he didn't realize it when he was seven or eight years old, but his dad had been spitting tobacco in that pocket for years. And it was tobacco and pine tar basically in that glove. And he. <laughs> He just the this look came over Tito's face when he was talking about it, uh, just you know remembering that glove. You could tell that he had a real fond place in his heart for uh, for that particular piece of equipment. Yeah, that was that was a cool uh, cool story he told, and uh, you know I think uh, ball players, you know, 
ball, the gloves are ball players. The almost best friend, especially when they're they're playing well and uh, they're go, they're playing uh, you know good defense. I remember Mel Hall had a, had had his nicknamed his glove uh, Lucille, uh-huh. and, and he he had one time uh, there was a line drive and let to left field and and the ball uh, you know he had he had the glove for so long it was taped together the webbing was taped together the ball went right through the uh, the webbing and uh, I think I think he had to uh, you know exchange Lucille for a new glove after that. Yeah, Lucille had to go into retirement after the yeah. uh, after he made an error. That's uh, that that's crazy. Uh, yeah, I I think uh, some of these guys have these these personal attachments to some some particular equipment. Like, uh, you know, you wrote about uh, Stephen Kwan earlier in the year. Uh, he was using uh, a new glove out in Seattle in the first weekend of the the season. Uh, he made an error on a a ball hit by Julio Rodriguez. Uh, and then went right back to the glove that he was using last year, uh, the the one that he won a gold glove with. But uh, you know, he said that the the new glove wasn't broken in enough. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's like uh, I don't know. I was I remember uh, uh, you know uh, Quan saying that, and I I thought, oh my God, that's like uh, that's like a mortal sin for an outfielder to go away from from his gamer that he won a gold glove with. This guy, you know, he, he better go back to his old glove, and he did. Thank goodness. Well, I found it interesting. Uh, you know, I asked the same question of all four of the guys. You know, what what did you do with the glove that you won? You know, that you wore last year that you won a gold glove with? Is that you know, does that go up on the shelf somewhere? Do you uh, do you hold that in sort of any sort of uh, regard or esteem? And uh, I, Miles Straw, it was like, yeah, it's around somewhere. I, you know, I he he says he usually uses a glove one glove a year, and uh, then he'll give it away to like a buddy or something like that. He says, yeah, it's probably in the closet back home. Uh, that that kind of shocked me that um, <laughs> that he, he it's like you know this is a glove that I won a major award with. I think I would would keep it uh, in in you know know where it is at least. But Shane Bieber said the same thing. He said, "Yeah, it's around somewhere. I, I've I've got it. Uh, you know, he'd probably give it to his dad or something." Uh, but but it was just just interesting to hear how uh, the four Gold Glovers talked about their relationships with how they evolved over the years with their equipment. Um, Andres Jimenez talked about how he recognized at a pretty early age. Uh, living in Venezuela, the the sacrifice that his grandma had to make to buy him a nice expensive glove, and and that was the glove that he used when he tried out for you know professional scouts, and you know that's how he got a a, a big league contract is because you know it started with the the glove that his grandma bought him for his birthday. Yeah, that's 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 a great story, Joe. Uh, yeah, and you know you think. Uh, you know, in in the U.S., you know, kids have gloves all over the place, but in Venezuela or somewhere else where you got to, you know, where you uh, the you know the the family might not be as rich or they might not have as much, you know, uh, money. You know, th- those things mean a lot. You know, gloves mean a lot, and you know, you see, uh, you know, I, I I went to the Dominican, um, you know, a long time ago for. Uh, and, and watch some winter ball games and watch some kids playing in the street. And you always hear of the kids, you know, making gloves out of milk cartons and, mm-hmm. and playing in the street like that. And, and uh, you know, so sometimes you don't know how well you have it off. You have it. So and and sometimes, you know, uh, you, the, your, your equipment is everything to a ball player. 
Well, yeah, and that's we, um, the, sort of the next step in this uh, this series that I want to do is I want to talk to to Jose Ramirez uh, and and talk to him about the program that he did over the summer where he went down to the Dominican and uh, back home and in his hometown on the field where he you know grew up playing and, and learned how to play and he had they they did a, an equipment giveaway bats and helmets and, and cleats and gloves and you know and I just wanted I want I want to hear from Jose what it means to for those kids to to get those gloves because they wouldn't have access to to some of that on their own and you know it could be life changing for some of them but maybe the next Jose Ramirez is in that group of kids that that got a glove and and now he has a chance to you know you know make it to the to the big leagues yeah that's uh you know that that is a big deal in in the Dominican and uh, it was a nice uh, gesture by Jose and his agents and and, uh, and the guardians, I think, were part of that as well. So good, for, good for Jose. Yeah, it's uh, our, our, our sort of the next evolution or the next step in this uh, this process is to to track that down as well. All right, Hoinsey, uh off day for the Guardians tonight. Uh, back at it with the series opener against Shohei Otani and the uh, Angels. And oh, uh, Mike Trout too, I guess. You gotta gotta throw him <laughs> in there. Uh, and three lefties that they'll be facing because, you know, only lefties will face the Guardians for the rest of the season, I guess. Uh, so we'll talk about uh, Shohei and, and all of the superlatives uh, that we can muster tomorrow on the podcast. We'll check in with you then. All right, Joe.